0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 20 and 21. And now, chapter 20. Those in front had spread the news before us. We found the servants in a state of panic. As we passed my lady's door, it was thrown open violently from the inner side. My mistress came out among us, with Mr. Franklin following, and trying vainly to compose her quite beside herself with the horror of the thing. "'You are answerable for this!' she cried out, threatening the sergeant wildly with her hand. "'Gabriel, give that wretch his money, and release me from the sight of him!' The sergeant was the only one among us who was fit to cope with her, being the only one among us who was in possession of himself. "'I am no more answerable for this distressing calamity, my lady, than you are,' he said, "'if, in half an hour from this, "'You still insist upon my leaving the house? "'I will accept your ladyship's dismissal, "'but not your ladyship's money.' "'It was spoken very respectfully, "'but very firmly at the same time, "'and it had its effect on my mistress as well as on me. "'She suffered Mr. Franklin to lead her back into the room. "'As the door closed on the two, "'the sergeant, looking about among the women servants "'in his observant way, "'noticed that while all the rest were merely frightened, "'Penelope was in tears.' "'When your father has changed his wet clothes,' he said to her, "'come and speak to us, in your father's room.' "'Before the half-hour was out, I had got my dry clothes on "'and had let Sergeant Cuff such change of dress as he required. "'Penelope came in to us to hear what the sergeant wanted with her. "'I don't think I ever felt what a good, dutiful daughter I had "'so strongly as I felt that at that moment. "'I took her and sat her on my knee, and I prayed God bless her.' She hid her head on my bosom and put her arms round my neck, and we waited a little while in silence. The poor dead girl must have been at the bottom of it, I think, with my daughter and with me. The sergeant went to the window and stood there looking out. I thought it right to thank him for considering us both in this way. And I did. People in high life have all the luxuries to themselves, among others the luxury of indulging their feelings. "'People in low life have no such privilege. "'Necessity, which spares our betters, has no pity on us. "'We learn to put our feelings back into ourselves "'and to jog on with our duties as patiently as may be. "'I don't complain of this. I only notice it. "'Penelope and I were ready for the sergeant "'as soon as the sergeant was ready on his side. "'Asked if she knew what had led her fellow servant "'to destroy herself, my daughter answered, "'As you will foresee.' that it was for love of Mr. Franklin Blake. Asked next if she had mentioned this notion of hers to any other person, Penelope answered, I have not mentioned it for Rosanna's sake. I felt it necessary to add a word to this. I said, And for Mr. Franklin's sake, my dear, as well. If Rosanna has died for love of him, it is not with his knowledge or by his fault. Let him leave the house today. If he does leave it, "'without the useless pain of knowing the truth.' "'Sergeant Cuff said, "'Quite right,' and fell silent again, "'comparing Penelope's notion, as it seemed to me, "'with some other notion of his own which he kept to himself. "'At the end of the half-hour, my mistress's bell rang. "'On my way to answer it, "'I met Mr. Franklin coming out of his aunt's sitting-room. "'He mentioned that her ladyship was ready to see Sergeant Cuff, "'in my presence as before.' "'and he added that he himself wanted to say two words to the sergeant first. "'On our way back to my room he stopped "'and looked at the railway timetable in the hall. "'Are you really going to leave us, sir?' I asked. "'Miss Rachel will surely come right again, if you only give her time.' "'She will come right again,' answered Mr. Franklin, "'when she hears that I have gone away, and that she will see me no more.' "'I thought he spoke in resentment of my young lady's treatment of him.' "'but it was not so. "'My mistress had noticed, "'from the time when the police first came into the house, "'that the bare mention of him "'was enough to set Miss Rachel's temper in a flame. "'He had been too fond of his cousin "'to like to confess this to himself, "'until the truth had been forced on him, "'when she drove off to her aunt's. "'His eyes once opened in that cruel way "'which you know of. "'Mr. Franklin had taken his resolution, "'the one resolution which a man of any spirit could take, "'to leave the house.' "'What he had to say to the sergeant was spoken in my presence. "'He described her ladyship as willing to acknowledge "'that she had spoken over hastily. "'And he asked if Sergeant Cuff would consent, in that case, "'to accept his fee and to leave the matter of the diamond "'where the matter stood now. "'The sergeant answered, "'No, sir. My fee has paid me for doing my duty. "'I decline to take it until my duty is done.' "'I don't understand you,' says Mr. Franklin. "'Then I'll explain myself.' says the sergeant. When I came here, I undertook to throw the necessary light on the matter of the missing diamond. I am now ready and waiting to redeem my pledge. When I have stated the case to Lady Verinter, as the case now stands, and when I have told her plainly what course of action to take for the recovery of the moonstone, the responsibility will be off my shoulders. Let her ladyship decide, after that, whether she does or does not, allow me to go on.' I shall then have done what I undertook to do, and I'll take my fee. In those words, Sergeant Cuff reminded us that, even in the detective police, a man may have a reputation to lose. The view he took was so plainly the right one that there was no more to be said. As I rose to conduct him to my lady's room, he asked if Mr. Franklin wished to be present. Mr. Franklin answered, Not unless Lady Verinder desires it. He added, in a whisper to me, "'as I was following the sergeant out. "'I know what that man is going to say about Rachel, "'and I am too fond of her to hear it and keep my temper. "'Leave me by myself.' "'I left him, miserable enough, "'leaning on the sill of my window, "'with his face hidden in his hands "'and Penelope peeping through the door, "'longing to comfort him. "'In Mr. Franklin's place I should have called her in. "'When you are ill-used by one woman, "'there is great comfort in telling it to another.' "'because, nine times out of ten, the other always takes your side. "'Perhaps, when my back was turned, he did call her in. "'In that case it is only doing my daughter justice "'to declare that she would stick at nothing "'in the way of comforting Mr. Franklin Blake. "'In the meantime, Sergeant Cuff and I proceeded to my lady's room. "'At the last conference we had held with her, "'we had found her not over-willing to lift her eyes from the book "'which she had on the table.' On this occasion there was a change for the better. She met the sergeant's eye with an eye that was as steady as his own. The family spirit showed itself in every line of her face, and I knew that Sergeant Cuff would meet his match, when a woman like my mistress was strung up to hear the worst he could say to her. We'll return with Chapter 21, right after these sponsor messages. And now Chapter 21 of The Moonstone. The first words, when we had taken our seats, were spoken by my lady. "'Sergeant Cuff,' she said, "'there was perhaps some excuse for the inconsiderate manner in which I spoke to you half an hour since. I have no wish, however, to claim that excuse. I say, with perfect sincerity, that I regret it if I wronged you.'" The grace of voice and manner with which she made him that atonement had its due effect on the sergeant. He requested permission to justify himself. "'putting his justification as an act of respect to my mistress. "'It was impossible,' he said. "'He could be in any way responsible for the calamity, "'which had shocked us all, for this sufficient reason, "'that his success in bringing his inquiry to its proper end "'depended on his neither saying nor doing anything "'that could alarm Rosanna Spearman. "'He appealed to me to testify whether he had, or had not, "'carried that object out. "'I could, and did, bear witness that he had.' "'and there, as I thought, the matter might have been judiciously left to come to an end. "'Sergeant Cuff, however, took it a step further, evidently, as you shall now judge, "'with the purpose of forcing the most painful of all possible explanations "'to take place between her ladyship and himself. "'I have heard a motive assigned for the young woman's suicide,' said the sergeant, "'which may possibly be the right one.' "'It is a motive quite unconnected with the case which I am conducting here. "'I am bound to add, however, that my own opinion points the other way. "'Some unbearable anxiety in connection with the missing diamond has, "'I believe, driven the poor creature to her own destruction. "'I don't pretend to know what that unbearable anxiety may have been. "'But I think, with your ladyship's permission, "'I can lay my hand on a person who is capable of deciding whether I am right or wrong.' Is the person now in the house? My mistress asked, after waiting a little. The person has left the house, my lady. That answer pointed as straight to Miss Rachel as straight could be. A silence dropped on us which I thought would never come to an end. Lord! How the wind howled, and how the rain drove at the window, as I sat there waiting for one or the other of them to speak again. Be so good as to express yourself plainly. "'said my lady. "'Do you refer to my daughter?' "'I do,' said Sergeant Cuff, "'in so many words. "'My mistress had her checkbook on the table "'when we entered the room, "'no doubt to pay the sergeant his fee. "'She now put it back in the drawer. "'It went to my heart to see how her poor hand trembled, "'the hand that had loaded her old servant with benefits, "'the hand that, I pray God, "'may take mine when my time comes "'and I leave my place for "'I had hoped,' said my lady, very slowly and quietly, "'to have recompensed your services, "'and to have parted with you without Miss Ferrender's name "'having been openly mentioned between us "'as it has been mentioned now. "'My nephew has probably said something of this "'before you came into my room.' "'Mr. Blake gave his message, my lady, "'and I gave Mr. Blake a reason. "'It is needless to tell me your reason,' After what have you just said, you know as well as I do that you have gone too far to go back. I owe it to myself, and I owe it to my child, to insist on your remaining here, and to insist on your speaking out. The sergeant looked at his watch. If there had been time, my lady, he answered, I should have prepared writing my report, instead of communicating it by word of mouth. But if this inquiry is to go on, time is of too much importance to be wasted in writing. I am ready to go into the matter at once. It is a very painful matter for me to speak of, and for you to hear. There my mistress stopped him once more. I may possibly make it less painful to you, and to my good servant and friend here, she said, if I set the example of speaking boldly on my side. You suspect Miss Verinder of deceiving us all, by secreting the diamond for some purpose of her own. Is that true?' "'Quite true, my lady.' "'Very well. Now, before you begin, I have to tell you, as Miss Verinder's mother, that she is absolutely incapable of doing what you suppose her to have done. Your knowledge of her character dates from a day or two since. My knowledge of her character dates from the beginning of her life. State your suspicion of her as strongly as you please. It is impossible that you can offend me by doing so. I am sure, beforehand, that with all your experience—' The circumstances have fatally misled you in this case. Mind, I am in possession of no private information. I am as absolutely shut out of my daughter's confidence as you are. My one reason for speaking positively is the reason you have heard already. I know my child. She turned to me and gave me her hand. I kissed it in silence. You may go on, she said, facing the sergeant again as steadily as ever. Sergeant Cuff bowed. My mistress had produced but one effect on him. His hatchet face softened for a moment, as if he was sorry for her. As to shaking him in his own conviction, it was plain to see that she had not moved him by a single inch. He settled himself in his chair, and he began his vile attack on Miss Rachel's character in these words. "'I must ask your ladyship,' he said, "'to look this matter in the face, from my point of view, as well as from yours.' Will you please to suppose yourself coming down here, in my place, and with my experience, and will you allow me to mention very briefly what that experience has been? My mistress signed to him that she would do this. The sergeant went on. For the last twenty years, he said, I have been largely employed in cases of family scandal, acting in the capacity of confidential man. The one result of my domestic practice, which has any bearing on the matter now at hand, is a result which I may state in two words. It is well within my experience that young ladies of rank and position do occasionally have private debts which they dare not acknowledge to their nearest relatives and friends. Sometimes the milliner and the jeweller are at the bottom of it. Sometimes the money is wanted for purposes which I don't suspect in this case, and which I won't shock you by mentioning. Bear in mind what I have said, my lady, AND NOW LET US SEE HOW EVENTS IN THIS HOUSE HAVE FORCED ME BACK ON MY OWN EXPERIENCE, WHETHER I LIKED IT OR NOT. HE CONSIDERED WITH HIMSELF FOR A MOMENT, AND WENT ON, WITH A HORRID CLEARNESS THAT obliged YOU TO UNDERSTAND HIM, WITH AN abominable JUSTICE THAT FAVORED NOBODY. MY FIRST INFORMATION RELATING TO THE LOSS OF THE MOONSTONE, SAID THE SERGEANT, CAME TO ME FROM SUPERINTENDENT SEAGRAVE. HE PROVED TO MY COMPLETE SATISFACTION THAT HE WAS PERFECTLY INCAPABLE OF MANAGING THE CASE. The one thing he said which struck me as worth listening to was this, that Miss Verinder had declined to be questioned by him, and had spoken to him with a perfectly incomprehensible rudeness and contempt. I thought this curious, but I attributed it mainly to some clumsiness on the superintendent's part which might have offended the young lady. After that I put it by in my mind, and applied myself single-handed to the case. It ended, as you are aware, in the discovery of the smear on the door and in Mr. Franklin Blake's evidence satisfying me, that this same smear, and the loss of the diamond, were pieces of the same puzzle. So far, if I suspected anything, I suspected that the moonstone had been stolen, and that one of the servants might prove to be the thief. Very good. In this state of things, what happens? Miss Verinder suddenly comes out of her room and speaks to me. I observe three suspicious appearances in that young lady, She is still violently agitated, though more than four-and-twenty hours have passed since the diamond was lost. She treats me as she has already treated Superintendent Seagrave, and she is mortally offended with Mr. Franklin Blake. Very good again. Here, I say to myself, is a young lady who has lost a valuable jewel, a young lady, also, as my own eyes and ears inform me, who is of an impetuous temperament. Under these circumstances, and with that character, what does she do? She betrays an incomprehensible resentment against Mr. Blake, Mr. Superintendent, and myself. Otherwise, the very three people who have all, in their different ways, been trying to help her recover her lost jewel. Having brought my inquiry to that point, then, my lady, and not till then, I begin to look back into my own mind from my own experience— My own experience explains Miss Verinder's otherwise incomprehensible conduct. It associates her with those other young ladies that I know of. It tells me she has debts she daren't acknowledge that must be paid. And it sets me asking myself whether the loss of the diamond may not mean that the diamond must be secretly pledged to pay them. That is the conclusion which my experience draws from plain facts. What does your ladyship's experience say against it? "'What I have said already,' answered my mistress, "'the circumstances have misled you.' "'I said nothing on my side. "'Robinson Crusoe, God knows how, "'had got into my muddled old head. "'If Sergeant Cuff had found himself at that moment "'transported to a desert island, "'without a man Friday to keep him company, "'or a ship to take him off, "'he would have found himself exactly where I wished him to be. "'Not bene. "'I am an average good Christian,' when you don't push my Christianity too far, and all the rest of you, which is a great comfort, are, in this respect, much the same as I am. Sergeant Cuff went on. Right or wrong, my lady, he said, having drawn my conclusion, the next thing to do is put it to the test. I suggested to your ladyship the examination of all the wardrobes in the house. It was a means of finding the article of dress which had, in all probability, made the smear and it was a means of putting my conclusion to the test. How did it turn out? Your ladyship consented. Mr. Blake consented. Mr. Abelwhite consented. Miss Verinder alone stopped the whole proceeding by refusing point blank. That result satisfied me that my view was the right one. If your ladyship and Mr. Betteredge persist in not agreeing with me, you must be blind to what happened before you this very day. In your hearing, I told the young lady that her leaving the house, as things were then, would put an obstacle in the way of my recovering her jewel. You saw yourselves that she drove off in the face of that statement. You saw yourself that, so far from forgiving Mr. Blake for having done more than all the rest of you to put the clue into my hands, she publicly insulted Mr. Blake on the steps of her mother's house. What do these things mean? If Miss Verinder is not privy to the suppression of the diamond, what do these things mean?' this time he looked my way. It was downright frightful to hear him piling up proof after proof against Miss Rachel, and to know, while one was longing to defend her, that there was no disputing the truth of what he had said. I am, thank God, constitutionally superior to reason. This enabled me to hold firm to my lady's view, which was my view also. This roused my spirit, and made me put a bold face on it before Sergeant Cuff. Prophet, good friends, I beseech you by my example." It will save you from many troubles of the vexing sort. Cultivate a superiority to reason, and see how you pare the claws of all the sensible people when they try to scratch you for your own good. Finding that I made no remark, and that my mistress made no remark, Sergeant Cuff proceeded. Lord, how it did enrage me to notice that he was not in the least put out by our silence. There is the case, my lady, as it stands against Miss Verinder alone, he said. The next thing is to put the case as it stands against Miss Verinder and the deceased Rosanna Spearman taken together. We will go back for a moment, if you please, to your daughter's refusal to let her wardrobe be examined. My mind being made up, after that circumstance, I had two questions to consider next. First, as to the right method of conducting my inquiry. Second, as to whether Miss Verinder had an accomplice among the female servants in the house. After carefully thinking it over, I determined to conduct the inquiry in but we should call it our office, a highly irregular manner. For this reason, I had a family scandal to deal with, which it was my business to keep within the family limits. The less noise made, and the fewer strangers employed to help me, the better. As to the usual course of taking people in custody on suspicion, going before the magistrate, and all the rest of it, nothing of the sort was to be thought of, when your ladyship's daughter was, as I believed, at the bottom of the whole business. In this case, "'I felt that a person of Mr. Betteredge's character "'and position in the house, "'knowing the servants as he did, "'and having the honour of the family at heart, "'would be safer to take as an assistant "'than any other person whom I could lay my hand on. "'I should have tried Mr. Blake as well, "'but for one obstacle in the way. "'He saw the drift of my proceedings "'at the very early date, "'and with his interest in Miss Verinder, "'any mutual understanding was impossible "'between him and me. "'I trouble your ladyship with these particulars,' to show you that I have kept the family secret within the family circle. I am the only outsider who knows it, and my professional existence depends on holding my tongue. Here I felt that my professional existence depended on not holding my tongue. To be held up before my mistress, in my old age, as a sort of deputy policeman, was once again more than my Christianity was strong enough to bear. I beg to inform your ladyship, I said, that I never... "'to my knowledge, help this abominable detective business "'in any way, from first to last, "'and I summon Sergeant Cuff to contradict me, if he dares.' "'Having given vent in those words, I felt greatly relieved. "'Her ladyship honored me by a little friendly pat on my shoulder. "'I looked with righteous indignation at the sergeant "'to see what he thought of such a testimony as that. "'The sergeant looked back like a lamb "'and seemed to like me better than ever.' "'My lady informed him that he might continue his statement. "'I understand,' she said, "'that you have honestly done your best "'in what you believe to be my interest. "'I am ready to hear what you have to say next.' "'What I have to say next,' answered Sergeant Cupp, "'relates to Rosanna Spearman. "'I recognized the young woman, as your ladyship may remember, "'when she brought the washing-book into the room. "'Up to that time I was inclined to doubt "'whether Miss Verinder had trusted her secret to anyone. "'When I saw Rosanna,' I altered my mind. I suspected her at once of being privy in the suppression of the diamond. The poor creature has met her death by a dreadful end, and I don't want your ladyship to think, now she's gone, that I was unduly hard on her. If this had been a common case of thieving, I should have given Rosanna the benefit of the doubt just as freely as I should have given it to any of the other servants in the house. Our experience with a reformatory woman is, that when tried in service, and when kindly and judiciously treated, they proved themselves in the majority of cases to be honestly penitent, and honestly worthy of the pains taken with them. But this was not a common case of thieving. It was a case, in my mind, of a deeply planned fraud with the owner of the diamond at the bottom of it. Holding this view, the first consideration which naturally presented itself to me, in connection with Rosanna, was this. "'Would Miss Verinder be satisfied, begging your ladyship's pardon?' Would leading us all to think that the moonstone was merely lost. "'Or would she go a step further "'and delude us into believing that the moonstone was stolen? "'In the latter event, there was Rosanna Spearman, "'with the character of a thief, ready to her hand, "'the person of all others to lead your ladyship off, "'and to lead me off, on a false scent. "'Was it possible, I asked myself, "'that he could put his case into Miss Rachel and Rosanna "'in a more horrid point of view than this? "'It was possible,' as you shall now see.' "'I had another reason for suspecting the deceased woman,' he said, which appears to me to have been stronger still. Who would be the very person to help Miss Verinder in raising money privately on the diamond? Rosanna Spearman. No young lady in Miss Verinder's position could manage such a risky matter as that by herself. A go-between she must have. And who so fit, I ask again, as Rosanna Spearman?' Your ladyship's deceased housemaid was at the top of her profession when she was a thief. She had relations, to my certain knowledge, with one of the few men in London, in the money-lending line, who would advance a large sum on such a notable jewel as the moonstone, without asking awkward questions, or insisting on awkward conditions. Bear this in mind, my lady, and now let me show you how my suspicions have been justified by Rosanna's own acts, and by the plain inferences to be drawn from them. "'He thereupon passed the whole of Rosanna's proceedings under review. "'You are already as well acquainted with those proceedings as I am, "'and you will understand how unanswerably this part of his report "'fixed the guilt of being concerned in the disappearance of the moonstone "'on the memory of the poor dead girl. "'Even my mistress was daunted by what he said now. "'She made him no answer when he had done. "'It didn't seem to matter to the sergeant whether he was answered or not. "'On he went, devil take him, just as steady as ever.' "'Having stated the whole case as I understand it,' he said, "'I have only to tell your ladyship now what I propose to do next. "'I see two ways of bringing this inquiry successfully to an end. "'One of those ways I look upon as a certainty. "'The other, I admit, is a bold experiment, and nothing more. "'Your ladyship shall decide. "'Shall we take the certainty first?' "'My mistress made him aside to take his own way and choose for himself.' "'Thank you,' said the sergeant. We'll begin with the certainty, as your ladyship is so good as to leave it to me. Whether Miss Verinder remains at prison hall, or whether she returns here, I propose, in either case, to keep a careful watch on all her proceedings, on the people she sees, on the rides and walks she may take, and on the letters she may write and receive. What next? asked my mistress. I shall next, answered the sergeant, request your ladyship's leave to introduce into the house. "'as a servant in the place "'of Rosanna Spearman, "'a woman accustomed "'to private inquiries "'of this sort, "'for whose discretion "'I can answer.' "'What next?' "'repeated my mistress. "'Next,' proceeded the sergeant, "'and last, "'I propose to send "'one of my brother officers "'to make an arrangement "'with that money-lender "'in London, "'whom I mentioned just now "'as formerly acquainted "'with Rosanna Spearman, "'and whose name and address, "'your ladyship may rely on it, "'have been communicated "'by Rosanna to Miss Verinder.' I don't deny that the course of action I am now suggesting will cost money and consume time, but the result is certain. We run a line round the moonstone, and we draw that line closer and closer till we find it in Miss Verinder's possession, supposing she decides to keep it. If her debts press, and she decides on sending it away, then we have our man ready, and we meet the moonstone on its arrival in London. To hear her own daughter made the subject of such a proposal as this, "'stung my mistress into speaking angrily for the first time. "'Consider your proposal declined, in every particular,' she said, "'and go on to your other way of bringing the inquiry to an end. "'My other way,' said the sergeant, going on as easy as ever, "'is to try that bold experiment to which I have alluded. "'I think I have formed a pretty correct estimate of Miss Verinder's temperament. "'She is quite capable, according to my belief, of committing a daring fraud.' but she is too hot and impetuous in temper, and too little accustomed to deceit as a habit, to act the hypocrite in small things, and to restrain herself under all provocations. Her feelings, in this case, have repeatedly got beyond her control, at the very time when it was plainly her interest to conceal them. It's on this peculiarity in her character that I now propose to act. I want to give her a great shock suddenly, under circumstances that will touch her to the quick. In plain English, I want to tell Miss Verinder, "'without a word of warning, of Rosanna's death, "'on the chance that her own better feelings "'will hurry her into making a clean breast of it. "'Does your ladyship accept that alternative?' "'My mistress astonished me beyond all power of expression. "'She answered him on the instant. "'Yes, I do.' "'The pony chaise is ready,' said the sergeant. "'I wish your ladyship good morning.' "'My lady held up her hand and stopped him at the door.' "'My daughter's better feelings shall be appealed to as you propose,' she said. "'But I claim the right, as her mother, of putting her to the test myself. "'You will remain here, if you please, and I will go to prison hall.' "'For once in his life the great Cuff stood speechless with amazement, like an ordinary man. "'My mistress rang the bell and ordered her waterproof things. "'It was still pouring with rain, and the close carriage had gone, as you know, with Miss Rachel, to prison hall.' "'I tried to dissuade her ladyship "'from facing the severity of the weather. "'Quite useless. "'I asked leave to go with her "'and hold the umbrella. "'She wouldn't hear of it. "'The pony chaise came round "'with the groom in charge. "'You may rely on two things,' "'she said to Sergeant Cuff in the hall. "'I will try the experiment on Miss Verinder "'as boldly as you could try it yourself, "'and I will inform you of the result, "'either personally or by letter, "'before the last train leaves for London tonight. "'With that,' She stepped into the chaise and, taking the reins herself, drove off to prison hall. We hope you enjoyed Chapter 20 and 21 of The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins. We always appreciate kind reviews, especially you Apple listeners. Our most recent review? Classics and much more. 1001 Stories for the Road. Five stars. This man is one of the best storytellers telling the best classic stories and otherwise. Every podcast he makes is worth listening to. That one from Blue Eyes 2276 Apple Podcast US and Blue Eyes 2276 thank you very very much for that very kind review. And another one. Theater of the Mind 1001 Stories for the Road 5 stars. I have recently discovered 1001 and I enjoy it immensely. The stories and audiobooks keep me company during the long hours in the tractor on the farm, and I listen also every night as I drift off to sleep and when I'm working in the shop or putting around the house. The narration is excellent and the selection of stories is nothing short of amazing. Thank you for the work that this must take, and please keep on doing what you do so very well. That one from IEU, Apple Podcast Canada. Thank you so much for that very kind review. It's greatly, greatly appreciated. We'll return with chapters 22 and 23 next week Sunday at noon. Until then, everyone, stay safe. Please do check out our other 1001 podcasts, and we'll be back soon.